This is the official Sasta podcast, and we are back for episode two this week with me, Harry Stebbings, at H Stebbings on Snapchat, and writing a lot these days on the appropriately named mojitovc.com. I'd absolutely love to hear your thoughts and feedback on that. And you can also follow the main man and godfather of SAS, Jason Lemkin, on Jason LK on Twitter. But to the show today, and joining me in the hot seat, I'm very thrilled to welcome Mateen Movasat, founder and CEO at Heap, the startup that provides analytics infrastructure to automate away the annoying parts of user analytics. And they've raised funding from some of the best in the business, including our friends and, and former guests of the show, including Pejman Nozad at Pear, Alexis and Gary at Initialize, Josh Reeves at Gusto, and the team at Redpoint, and many more incredible investors. As for Mateen, prior to Heap, he was a product manager at Facebook and spent time at both Google and Mozilla. I'd also like to say a big thank you to Jason Lemkin for the intro today, without which the show would not have been possible. However, before we dive into the show's day, Algolia is the robust search API that allows developers to integrate lightning-fast, typo-tolerant search into their SaaS product. Out of the box, Algolia offers developers a powerful platform for building great search experiences. By owning the entire stack from engine to server, Algolia free up development teams to focus on adding intuitive search that delights users. This is perfect for existing search teams looking to spend less time on maintenance and infrastructure management and more time on user experience. For small SaaS teams, Algolia is a perfect investment on top of your existing stack that requires no specialist engineers and you can learn more about how Algolia helps SaaS scale search because now Sasta podcast listeners can get one month free at algolia.com forward slash Sasta with the coupon code Sasta podcast. That's algolia.com forward slash Sasta. However, it's now time for me to shut up. So I'm now delighted to hand over to Mateen Movasat, founder and CEO at Heap. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. Mateen, absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Huge thanks to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today. Harry, it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Love the podcast. Thank you for having me. No, thank you so much for those kind words, but I'd love to get started today by discussing a bit about you and the founding story and aha moment for you with Heap. The idea for Heap came about when I was a product manager at Facebook, actually. I was a relatively green PM there, but still very technical. So I quickly realized that data would be the key for me to uncover truth and find leverage within the business. And on paper, Facebook seems like a really good place to be data-driven. You know, they have everything going for them. They've pioneered a lot of analytics technology. They have dozens of engineers building out their infrastructure. They have really smart data scientists. They have a treasure trove of user data. But unfortunately, at the end of the day, making that data actionable was an excruciating process for me. Because every time I had a question, I would need to do a whole bunch of crap work. I would need to bother a bunch of engineers to spec out this tracking plan for me. I would need to wait a couple weeks for engineers to get around to writing code, which they they don't want to do because they have more interesting things to work on than analytics tracking. I have to wait a week for that track to go through the next release cycle, which can take a month on mobile. I need to wait a couple more weeks for data to accumulate. I need to bother an analyst to organize the messy data for me, so on and so forth. Long story short, by the time I got the answers I needed, literally months would have gone by and I needed to loop in a bunch of stakeholders, none of whom had any desire or incentive to help me. And so my thinking was, holy crap, you know, if analytics is this difficult at a company as smart as Facebook, what hope does every other online business have to do smart things with data? And so we built Heap to rethink analytics from the ground up. And in particular, Heap automatically captures all your customer data and lets you turn it into actionable insights without having to write any code so that normal people can
can get the insights they need in seconds instead of months. Can, can I ask, when you look back at your time at Facebook, was there anything that they did either positive or negative in terms of kind of the organizational structure? You talk about the long-term decision-making and kind of difficulty in getting impact and action from them. Was there anything that you took from the time, good or bad, to, to heap with you in terms of management structures and styles? Oh, man, I'll, I'll want to limit the bad portions of the management and organizational structure of Facebook. I will say one really effective team at Facebook is the growth team. And when you think about a lot of Facebook's success and their well-oiled execution, it boils down to how the growth team in particular at Facebook operated. And that was an extremely data-driven team. They were very good at understanding the customer funnel, at understanding exactly how to measure traction across different parts of the product. That team got shit done. And I was extremely impressed with how they did things. At a lot of companies, I don't want to single out Facebook. Facebook is a very exceptional place. At a lot of bigger companies, I think it is easy to drive decision-making based on guts and intuition and sort of this high-level view of how your customers use the product that isn't necessarily grounded in reality. And it's especially easy to get carried away with that level of thinking when you're at a company as successful as Facebook, as Google, as you know, name any other unicorn. It's easy to get carried away and think you have an understanding of what your customers are doing in your product. But it's always a lot more complicated than one would think. I, I do want to start though today and, and I want to start on a topic of the product building phase essentially because I've heard you say before that you should sell before you're done with building. So I'm super intrigued to hear why you say this and what the fundamental benefits are to enacting it in this way. Yes, I believe very strongly in selling your product as in getting cash from your customers before your product is done being built. And I try to do this whenever possible when we're thinking about building Heap. And this might sound a little strange, and but it sort of makes sense because in SaaS, the only way to really validate your product is to ensure that it generates long-term recurring revenue. But waiting for your product or feature to generate long-term recurring revenue takes way too much time. And so the next best thing is to move up the funnel one step and validate that you can sell and get that first bit of revenue up front. So you ask for up what, front, is that upfront payments? Upfront payments or just any commitment to pay at all. Whether it's upfront or monthly is as less important. What I've found is that it's really easy to get praise and excitement for your new product ideas. And it's especially easy for people to confuse this excitement with product market fit, especially as founders skew towards optimism. Any validation of the, their idea, you know, they'll get a little carried away. But I think asking for money in particular starts engendering the right question from your customers. So instead of your customers trying to placate your idea or your ego, they now start challenging it because you're asking them for money, right? Can I so how do you frame yeah. that dialogue? So for a founder listening, how do they frame that dialogue if they've got a new product and they want to get it into the hands of as many people as possible, but they're you know they're cognizant that you're right in terms of achieving recurring revenue is the only determinant. How do they frame that? Do they go in very bullish? Is it a kind of softly, softly approach? What's worked best for you? It is really easy. All you need to do is just be upfront and say, we're building X, would you pay Y for it? It is that simple. And if someone says, as well, I don't know, $500 a month seems too expensive, then you can you can ask at what sort of price point would this make sense or what sort of features would help justify that and, and solve the problem for you. But really, there's there's no way around it. It can be straightforward and say, would you pay X dollars for this thing I'm building? And if there's a lot of hesitation and there's a lot of back and forth, then there's probably an indication that you are not demonstrating value enough or you're not solving a big, big enough problem for the customer. Well, I, I was going to say that, you know, making sure that 
that you have those cash commitments is the best way for our team to make sure we're building what our customers actually value. And when they're paying for something, customers will also feel a much greater obligation to use it and give you feedback when your product sucks. Can I ask, are there any cautionary elements to taking the money potentially up front or asking for it early? Is it, Are there any dangers in terms of like, oh, we often see it with Kickstarter campaigns when kind of lack of fulfillment is often a problem. Are there any kind of danger tales that, that need to be avoided? If you're asking about payment schedules, it definitely matters. If, if you're getting paid up front for, let's say, a year-long contract, you want to make sure you can honor that contract and you want to make sure there's a good reason for getting that upfront payment. At Heap, for a, a lot of our bigger customers in particular, we make sure that we put a lot of upfront investment, both in terms of our customer success team's time, but also in terms of resourcing so that Heap can work at scale for them. But it, it really depends on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. If you're talking to some five-person startup, then getting them to commit a year up front to your product becomes a lot harder. So it really depends. Mm-hmm. I'm really pleased you said about customer success there because it's one of my absolute passion points within SaaS. Uh, so I have to ask, should it come before the hailed first sales rep for you? And that's a good question. And I, I don't want to presume to know what the right ordering is for every company. And I'm probably probably going to spend a lot of this interview overgeneralizing, but I can tell you what worked for Heap. So at Heap, we went from, from zero to one in terms of our, our user acquisition funnel, starting from the bottom of that funnel and moving up. And so what I mean by that is marketing is top of funnel, sales is bottom of the funnel, and, and customer success is post-funnel. That's sort of how you can think about things. What we did was first focus on hiring for customer success. Then we focused on hiring for sales. And only today are we actually getting around to hiring for marketing. We actually just hired our first marketer just a few weeks ago. You, you, said, you said before the best sales process is a customer success process. What do you really mean by that with the integration of the two? So at Heap, the sales conversations that we have resemble more of a consultative, a customer success conversation. And the sales conversations that resemble a customer success one tend to be more successful for us than ones that aren't. So what I mean by a a consultative conversation, I mean working closely with our customers to actually make Heap fix their business problems today rather than walking through our product features one by one or walking through an implementation plan. And we, we think in first principles around our sales process. So what is unique about Heap? And how do those unique properties of Heap inform our sales process? And it turns out Heap is unique in that you don't need to write code, you don't need to wait for data, since every user interaction is captured automatically, which means people can get insights from Heap out of the box on day one. And we take advantage of that to make our sales process as consultative as possible. Mm-hmm. So we ask our customers, hey, what, what hypotheses do you have about your customer base? What are the issues that are keeping you from getting the growth that you want to see? And what we try to do is validate those hypotheses and dig into them in our very, very first meeting with them. Mm-hmm. So no boring feature tours, no three-month implementation, boring spec plans. What we want to do is we want to make sure we are solving a business problem for you on the very first demo. What's your, and, take, what's your take on the emergence of, of sales and customer success? Often there's the issue of customer success and upsell. I often have many differing responses from founders as to whether they agree or disagree with it in terms of being in the customer success realm. What's your take on this and the emergence? Is there any kind of potential concerns over distrust within customer success once sales is brought in? Definitely. I, I mean, we're, we're still evolving our customer success function. So 
So I'm, I'm not sure if we'll get it perfectly right, but you definitely do do want to delineate the responsibility of someone who is trying to find expansion opportunity and sort of asks for that bigger check from a customer versus someone who serves as the consultant and is helping the customer get the most value out of the product. You don't want to conflate those responsibilities. And I think it makes that relationship harder if the person who's helping the customer is also the one asking for a bigger check. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I do agree. You said about Heap also providing value on day one there. I'm intrigued. How important do you think it is to show a short time to value in the sales process in particular? Is that fundamental? It's extremely fundamental. I mean, every moment where you're not talking about business value is more time where the customer can lose interest in your product, lose momentum and initiative around becoming data-driven. The more you put that off and the more you get rabbit-holed in technical details around your product or in technical details in terms of how it gets rolled out, the less you're able to give customers a visual sense of how Heap solves their problems. And this is always what we try to optimize for in, in every conversation with our customers. We try to work with them to get the boring parts out of the way as quickly as we can and make sure that they and us have a good sense of the high-level business problems we'll solve. Because you don't use any product just to get some cool features. You typically do it out of some pain point that you are experiencing. Can, can I ask, when you were building out the core team, we said there about customer success being potentially the first hire. When you were building out kind of the core exact layer of the first 10 or so hires, I'm intrigued. Did, did you go for the brand logos? Did you go for the jack of all trades? Uh, what type of profile were you and do you think other SaaS startups generally um, could and should be looking for at that stage? For us, on the in terms of our early hires, our first two non-technical hires were both in customer success. And they had more of that jack of all trades background. They were technically non-technical hires, but they still were able to dive in and debug JavaScript. And so on, on, the, on the grand scheme of things, they were still very technical. And for us, we like to build our product roadmap for existing customers as much as possible. And customer success makes it easy to understand what existing customers want. And so it's so much easier to direct your product work when it's dictated by customers with whom you already have a relationship. And so focusing on customer success early on for us, we found really helps with sales and marketing too, because it turns out, hey, happy customers lead to new customers. And that's been our biggest and really our only growth driver for the past two years. Mm -hmm. You you said there about kind of investing early in customer success. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the importance then of investing early in ops and data. Is this crucial to the kind of the successful organizational technical infrastructure going forward? Definitely. So data and ops might sound like a really boring topic, but I'm going to talk about it anyways because it it matters. You're right. Uh, It it, it matters a ton. And hey, we're an analytics company, so that is very top of mind for us. But I mean, at Heap, we underestimated the importance of investing early in ops and data. And when I say ops and data, I'm, I'm referring to two things in particular. One is the system of record for your customer and business data. This is your analytics. This is your CRM, Salesforce, whatever that might be. And the second thing I'm referring to is the workflows for your sales, marketing, customer success teams for them to get shit done effectively. And so the data that you have informs your workflows and vice versa. And if you want to improve your business, you have to measure it. And you need to make sure that your marketing team, your sales team, product team, all the teams at your company are on the same page as to the core user funnel from sign up to closing deals to expansion. And this, I, I found that this gets surprisingly tricky as you start having sales and marketing teams, as you start adding more of those tools to your stack, you have more complicated deals, 
you have processes that diverge across your sales reps. And so I wish we had actually invested a lot earlier in automating those processes and keeping them consistent. And this might sound ironic given that we're an analytics company and and very much data-driven, but it took us some time to lay the groundwork and it's still a work in progress. And we actually have two engineers dedicated to building those sorts of automation and workflows to serve our internal business users. Are there any challenges to implementing this kind of early ops and data mindset into your early stage startup? Is there any kind of potential roadblocks or difficulties in establishing it? There is. The main one is is typically in having a consistent view of data because your data can live in lots of places, especially as you start investing in more processes and tools. Then you're going to have to, it reduces to a problem of bringing data from lots of different sources into one place, consolidating that so that you have a consistent sort of model that everyone on your team can understand and engineers on your team can can build on top of to make workflows less annoying for the, the people that work at your company. Mm-hmm. I do want to dive into one of my favorite elements of the show though now, and it's called Mateen's 60 Second Sasta, okay? So this is just for you. I've never done this with another guest before, I promise you. Especially I believe you, Harry. Uh, I have no doubt. So 60 seconds per one, how does that sound? That sounds great. So let's do your favorite SaaS reading material. What are the must-reads when they come in? So I, I don't want to be too much of a brown noser, but Saster was obviously key in forming oh, our early sales it. strategy. <laughs> Saster is great, and it honestly is. I, I would also say the material I really like is from Jonathan Sue at Social Capital. He's actually written a, a number of in-depth posts on how to think about and measure growth, revenue, and retention. And I, I like it a lot because it provides simple but non-obvious ways to think about startup traction. And he even has really concrete material in there, like a SQL query that you can run. And it's actually, it's not specific to SaaS, but it's still worthwhile reading for every SaaS founder. No, I love that one. I'm adding that to the list now. But then spending time with non-customers, what are the thoughts? I love hearing happy customers wax about how much they love our product, and that'll always feel great to any founder. But I am actually, I'm far more fascinated by the customer who never enters our funnel at all. And it's easy to default into complacency with your existing happy customers. So I always try to spend more time seeking negative feedback and working with our SDRs to understand the frontiers of our market. You know, who are the people who aren't using our product? Why aren't they using it? Why have they gone with a competitor? I'll reach out to prominent users of our competitors too and try to understand what they love about the competition and why they're not using Heap. This has exposed massive blind spots in our thinking. What do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of the process with Heap? Mostly technically related things that I doubt your audience cares about, Harry, in terms of building (laughs) distributed systems and scaling them tends to matter a lot for our line of business. I would say aside from technical stuff, I wish I had appreciated earlier how okay it is to carve out non-goals and that it's a sign of maturity to say, hey, we will not do X within our product. An example of this with Heap is, uh, you know, we piss off a lot of leads when they hear we don't support Android yet. And for us, we want to double down on making sure our existing web and iOS integrations are awesome before we spread ourselves thin and build a subpar experience everywhere. So we'd, we'd rather have no Android integration and limit the set of customers we can serve than have a, a, a mediocre product. We've begun building Heap for Android now as as a an, an important caveat, but that's only after we've invested a lot of work in the core web and iOS products. Absolutely. No, I agree with you in terms of product focus until you nail it. But I do want to finish then today and moving out of the quick fire, so don't worry, uh, no 60 second <laughs> clock on you, but on, on the hailed product market fit that we all love so much in startup land, but you have a different term for this when applied to the enterprise. So talk to me about this and, and, and what that means. 
space? Yeah, I, I think a lot about product and organization fit. And I think enterprise adoption is very much about evolving your product to consider that product and organization fit. So if you look at every B2B SaaS company, just about all of them need to move up market to justify large valuations. E- even wildly successful freemium businesses like Dropbox and Slack are fundamentally betting on their ability to move up market and serve bigger customers. And for Heap, too, that's been a lot of the trend for us in terms of our customer base. And what we've found is that for larger enterprise customers, a nice and and well-functioning product is necessary but insufficient. You need to consider the dynamics of how your product fits into a larger organization. And so instead of thinking about, hey, how does this feature serve an individual, you need to start thinking about how that feature serves graphs of people. And so we might ask, okay, you know, we've built a new visualization and that's nice, but how will the analyst's boss want to consume it? And we built, you know, this new tracking feature in, in our UI, and that might be nice for product managers, but how will their data and BI teams want to manage that and, and version that and make sure that they're staying on top of it? And so that that's something that's a pretty key part of how we've shifted our product thinking is thinking through not just how an individual uses it, but how a set of people at companies with different roles and responsibilities will, will use it. Mateen, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Seriously, I've so enjoyed hearing more about Heap. Uh, as I said, I heard a lot from Jason, but it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate the time, Harry. It was my pleasure. And I'd like to say again a huge thanks to Mateen for giving up his time today to come on the show. An incredible to hear his scaling process with Heap and such exciting times ahead. I do also want to say a big thank you to Jason Lemkin for the introduction to Mateen today, without which the show would not have been possible. And you can also follow Jason on Twitter at JasonLK. Likewise, you can follow me on Twitter at Harry Stebbings, or you can check out the blog MojitoVC.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback on that, as always. But before we leave you today, do not forget to check out Algolia. Now, Algolia is the robust search API that allows developers to integrate lightning-fast, typo-tolerant search into their SaaS product. Out of the box, Algolia offers developers a powerful platform for building great search experiences. By owning the entire stack from engine to server, Algolia free up development teams to focus on adding intuitive search that delights users. This is perfect for existing search teams looking to spend less time on maintenance and infrastructure management and more time on user experience. And for smaller SaaS teams, Algolia is a great investment on top of your existing stack that requires no specialist engineers and you can learn more about how Algolia helps SaaS scale search because now SASTA podcast listeners can get one month free at algolia.com forward slash SASTA with the coupon code SASTA podcast. As always, I so appreciate all the support and I look very forward to bringing you Monday's episode with Trello founder Michael Pryor.